All right, the book of the book of James in chapter number four, and we are continuing looking at proof number four is godliness in all things. And so James here in James chapter number four is addressing that subject of godliness. And, and, and you know, I mean, that's what we ought to be, right? I mean, if, if we are putting on the name of Christ, we ought to be godly. And last week we saw the contrast between peace at the end of chapter number three and the wars and fightings among you that comes at the beginning of chapter number four. And we talked about how that sometimes we miss things by having chapter divisions in there. But that's one of the points that, that James is making is he's saying you can have peace in your life. The, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace at the end of chapter number three. And then the beginning of chapter number four, from whence come wars and fightings among you? What's the difference between peace and wars and fightings? And it's lust. And so that's what we talked about. Those wars and fightings among them are driven by lust. And so we're going to talk about lust and how uh, lust uh, hinders your prayer life. We talked about that last week. And now we're going to see that those lusts come whenever our affections are misplaced. So we're going to read verses 4 through 7 tonight. And we might not get all the way through that, but um, he's going to, he talked about lust, you know, and you, you lust and have not, you kill and desire to have, and you cannot obtain, you find more yet, you have not because you ask not. So that lust that's in your heart keeps you from praying. But then he's going to get in verse number 4 and listen to these words. You adulterers and adulteresses. Wow. Can you imagine, just think about that, if I called you all out like that and called you adulterers and adulteresses, so how would you see that? But that's exactly what James is doing. He's calling out his audience and calling them adulterers and adulteresses. <laughs> know you not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth the envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So the first thing I want us to think about is that strong language. So why would James use such strong language? Adulterers and adulteresses. You know, sometimes um, like must respond with like. I listen to uh, J. Warner Wallace often in my, when I'm jogging, you know, the one who wrote that forensic face that we went through uh, in church camp a couple of years ago. And he also write, uh, uh, he, uh, he also, um, anyway, he's, he's an author and that book name is slipping me right now. Um, uh, not forensic faith, but first book. But anyway, and listening to his podcast, he talks about being a police officer and being a police officer in Los Angeles. And one of the things that happened to him when he first became a police officer was he had to deal with his language. 
And he was talking about, you know, when you're a police officer and you're dealing with inner city Los Angeles, you have to speak in language that they understand. And he says, you know, when you become a Christian and you start thinking about your language and you're a police officer and you have to present a, an attitude that is not soft and easy and you have to think about the way you're going to communicate with people and, and he was talking about that, that, that you have to communicate like with like. And so, you know, that gave me some new insight into people and the language that they have to use and the way they should, they have to talk sometimes because of their job. Now, he didn't really go into it and talk about it very deeply, but when he was mentioning that, it made me think, you know, if you're dealing with a criminal, you know, you don't want to give them the impression that you're a pushover, so you might have to use some strong language with them. And so, same thing's happening here with James. James is using strong language because of the strange, the strong, he's using strong language because of the strong actions. Look at what he says. You kill and desire to have. You fight in war. And so he is not talking about you know, they're not sitting around singing kumbaya together, you know. Um, they're, they're, some, they're fighting and they're warring. And, and so he's getting their attention. So because of the severity of the actions, James responds with strong words. It's like he's getting their attention. And so he says, you adulterers and adulteresses. I mean, that's going to capture their attention. And so he's saying, know you not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. It's almost like I can see him grabbing them by the shoulders and saying, don't you get it? Friendship of the world means you're in enmity with God. And so that's, that's what's happening there. And that's why he uses such strong language. See, he's trying to get them to understand the danger of lust. And as I was studying this, I, I thought about ourselves and if we really understand the danger of lust. Like, you know, if we covet something that someone else has, whether it's a car or whether it's power, you know, we always think of lust. We always think of lust as being a sexual thing. But, but there's more ways. You can lust after more things than something physical. And if we're desiring something that someone else has, that's lust. It's covetousness and lust. We really don't understand the danger of that. Because the danger of lust is really a description of the condition of the heart. Lust is really because of a dissatisfaction with the provision of God. Like, I want that because I don't like what I have. What I have is not enough, so I want what you have. Or, I want what you have because I don't want you to have it. I don't like it that you have it, and so I want it because 
Because you got it, I want it. Did, you ever did that with the kids, right? You, you had two kids and, and maybe the younger child grabbed the toy of the older child and the older kid's like, you can't play with my toy. And it was like, well, you wasn't playing with it anyway. And it was like, yeah, I know, but I wanted it's mine. And the whole thing was they didn't really want to play with it. They just didn't want their younger sibling to play with it, right? I mean, you know what, it, you know what I'm talking about? And that's what lust does, right? Lust for us is a dissatisfaction with the providence provision of God. And lust is indicative of a heart which is in love with the world and not in love with God. We're in love with the things of the world, whether it's, whether it's sex or whether it's power or whether it's money, whether it's physical. You know, we're lusting for something and so we're trying to fill a place that's empty in our lives and we're trying to fill a place that's empty with something else. We're not satisfied with God. We don't feel complete in Him. And so we really don't understand the danger of lust. We really don't understand where lust is leading us. And we don't really comprehend the fact that lust is an indicator of what's in our heart. And so James uses these shock, these words adulterers and adulteresses as shocking language to get their attention to highlight the severity of lust. And now let's remember who, who's the audience, who's getting the book, who's getting the letter. It's those scattered Christians who are spreading throughout the world. And he's reminding them to be cautious of seeking the world's approval. You know, you're going to go to a new area. Maybe you're going to an area where you have no friends, you have no family, and you want to do anything you can just to like be a part of the community. And so be careful with seeking the approval of the world because seeking the approval of the world might cause your heart to stray away from God. And so he's, he's getting their attention. And so he goes on and he says, You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And so lust surfaces when the affections are misplaced. What's he saying? He's saying, if you set your affections on the things of the world... That's going to drive lust in your heart. But if you set your affection on things above, if you set your affections on the things of God, that's not going to be lustful. So be careful where you set your affections. And he's reminding them of something. Again, they may think, well, you know, lust is not really that big a deal, you know. But here he's reminding them that Friendship of the world. When you lust for the things of the world, friendship of the world is enmity with God. The, think about this. The friend of the world is the enemy of God. Why? Why is that? Well, what's in the world? Well, 1 John tells us 
for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not of God. It's of the world. And so what do you find in the world? You find the lust of the flesh, all right? You find the flesh desiring the things of the flesh. The lust of the eyes, looking for and longing for something, and then the pride of life. Lust and pride are the driving forces in the world. What was it they always said about Rockefeller? How much is enough money? Just one dollar more, right? And you may have, you know, how, how many people, they, they may have plenty, but they're always lusting for something else and, and people seeking power, people seeking fame, see, people seeking fortunes. Think about, and I can't remember his name, but I listened to a, a <coughs> Moeller talked about the guy that was over cryptocurrency that was worth Billions of dollars. And he's going to prison for uh, deceiving people out of money, for frauding, defrauding people out of money. But he just kept on, you know, he just had to keep, kept on wanting more. And he, but, he, but the way that he said it was okay was, yeah, I'm, I'm taking this money from people. I'm like a modern day Robin Hood. He, he's taking money from people so that he can support these other causes. What's the driving force in that? Lust and pride. So, so what's in the world is driven by lust and pride. And I want you to think about how that contrasts with the driving forces in the life of Christ. Did lust or pride drive the life of Christ? While he was here on this earth, was he driven by lust or by pride? No, if you look at the life of Jesus, you would see that he was identified not with lust, or something someone else had, but by self-sacrifice and giving away what he had. And instead of pride, remember Satan said, look, you can have all, all of this that's in the world. I'll give it to you if you'll just bow to me. He didn't want the kingdoms of this world that was given to him by Satan. He wasn't driven by pride. He was driven by humble obedience. So you see the contrast? You see why friendship with the world, which is driven by lust and pride, is contrasted with the life of Jesus, which is driven by self-sacrifice and humble obedience. And so if you're going to be driven by lust and pride, you can't be the friendship of humble obedience and self-sacrifice. They, they are contrary to one another. And as a matter of fact, that's... that's when it says enmity with God, that's, that's what that word enmity means. Whoever is the friend of the world is at enmity with God. And enmity means the quality of being an enemy. It's the opposite of friendship. The word actually has the meaning of ill will, hatred, and malevolence. So if you are a friend of the things of the world, so, so you think, well, it's no big thing if I lust for, you know, if I desire a covet a, a, a new house or a new car or, or whatever, or someone of the opposite sex or whatever, oh, that's no big deal. It is when you understand that you're, you're, you're setting yourself in opposition to Jesus. And by the way, that's the way with any sin. We think sin's no big deal. But when we think about the fact that we're setting ourselves in opposition to Jesus, 
all of a sudden it becomes a bigger deal than what we realize. And maybe all of us have a bigger problem with this than what we realize. The great thing, I want to give you a little bit of hope here. The great thing that he's going to say in just a minute, but he giveth more grace. But he, we, we may come to, have to come to grips with the lust that resides in our heart. But we always want to remember grace. And we're thankful for grace. And that's a part of this too. But so we want to, to see that if you set your affections on the things of the world, that you are the enemy of God. Let that sink in a minute. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Not might be, not could be, is the enemy of God. You don't want to set yourself up as the enemy of God, do you? Don't lust for the things of the world. Because lusting for the things of the world is a sign that you're at enmity with God. So, if one will be godly in all things, they need to consider the placement of their affections. And make sure your affections aren't on the things of this world, but your affections are on the things above. And so he goes on, James goes on to uh, warn them about uh, the danger of misplaced affections. Do you think that the scriptures say that in vain the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? So, so he's saying the scripture says, he, the scripture's going to tell us and remind us about the danger of the spirit that lives within us, the flesh. It's natural for the flesh to lust for the things of the world. And so the scripture reminds us of that. All throughout the scriptures, it's warning us about the dangers of the flesh. And there's, there's all kinds of examples in the scripture about those who give themselves to the lust of the flesh and the dangers of it. Just Let's just go right to the garden. Let's start with Adam and Eve. The lust of the flesh to be like God. Let's go back before the Garden of Eden and let's go into heaven and let's see when, when Lucifer said, I will be like the Most High. And he lusted to be like God and it caused him to be kicked out of heaven. And we could go all through the Old Testament and all the way up through the New Testament and even think about Simon the Sorcerer who lusted for the power that the apostles had and you know, what happened to him? All through the scriptures, you see those who are driven by lust. You can think about Lot, who saw the well-watered plains of Sodom and Gomorrah and all of that. You know, everywhere you look, when someone looks and they lust, it's never a good thing. And so we want to be warned when it says the scripture saith. It's, it's not talking about a specific scripture there. It's just saying scripture as a whole gives us an understanding of the fact that the spirit in us lusts to envy. So we want to be careful. The depraved spirit of man, the depraved spirit of man is never abolished. Remember that. 
You're born again. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. And, and the Holy Spirit comes down and lives in your heart. But the old man, the depraved man, is never abolished. The old man's always present. And you're always going to battle with it. That's why Paul said in Romans 7, 17, now, is the, now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And so that struggle that you face with sin, it, the flesh is lusting for the things of the world and, and your spirit is saying, I can't lust for that and that's not good for me to do. And, and so you feel guilt and shame as you're lusting for that thing and you say, I want to be free from that lust. And, but, and, you, and you want to do all that you can to, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. But the, the spirit that's in you, the, the natural man is lusting for the things of the world and, and you feel like Paul and you say, oh wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, so let's remember that, that James is saying, listen, you've got that natural man, that fleshly nature that's going to lust for the things of the world and, and you're to mortify the deeds of the flesh and you're to crucify the flesh and all of that. And so this, this struggle that's going on that, that spirit, that, that the, the spirit of depravity, the natural man is always going to be lusting for the things of the world. And so that's part of our maturity and, and growing Christ and our sanctification is where we learn how to mortify the deeds of the flesh and we learn how to put on the new man and we learn how to walk in the righteousness of Christ and all of that. And, and so James is just highlighting that here for them so that they can understand. He, he, he's warning them about the dangers of the depraved nature. And we need to be warned, likewise, of the dangers of the depraved nature. Because if we, listen, if, if we're driven by the depraved nature all the time, that might be an indicator of what's in our heart. But if there's a struggle going on within us, you know, that's a pretty good indicator that, that the Holy Spirit is living in us. So, so this is what James is teaching them. And he's teaching them that, to remember that lust leads to envy. What follows the affections of the depraved nature is envy. It's the natural outcome. I mean, think about this. Think about how many people that you know that can't be satisfied with the success of someone else. You look at someone else and they got a promotion on the job and the first thing is like, they didn't deserve that. I deserve that. Or they got a raise. When am I going to get a raise? Or, you know, why did they get a new house? Or why did they get a new car? Or, you know, why did they get a new pair of shoes? Or whatever, you know, we, we look at what happens to someone else and we can't, we can't rejoice with them. We, but we say, well, why isn't that happening to me? That's envy in our heart. And that lust is what drives that envy. Lust will never allow someone to say it's enough. There's always that desire for more. There will always be someone that has more. There will, all be some, there will always be something new and better, more updated. And because it's new and better and more updated, i got to have it. I mean, isn't that what phone, phone companies work on, right? If you, if you have your phone with a certain company, you can pay $6 a month extra just for the privilege of being able to trade your new phone in for the next new phone that comes out next year. So you're going to pay an extra $6 a month just for the privilege of paying, trading your own phone in. The phone companies and all companies are driven by this 
thought that's in us that we have to have the newest and the better. And if I don't have that new phone, when that iPhone, whatever comes out, and if I don't have it, then I got to have it. And you know what I'm saying? That's, they know that. They know the, the, the lust that is in us, and, and that lust is the driving force before, behind all cells. Someone else has it, and I need it. So that's that lust that is natural to us. And so when we know that lust leads to envy, we want to think about the contrast about being led by the flesh and being led by the spirit. We want to make sure that we are led by the spirit, which is going to set its affections on things above, which is not going to lust and envy. The Holy Spirit leads us to contentment, not envy. Walking in contentment leads to godliness, not the works of the flesh. So, so you can see James as he's building this argument for them as they're going out and they're scattered out and he's talking to them about the real situations that they're facing in life and how they're going to face uh, lust in their heart and he's warning them to, to, to understand the danger of lust. Lust comes because our affections are misplaced and so he's trying to point their affections on things above. And there's lots more we have to say here, but we're going to quit right there. So anyway, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth we find in your word and help us as we think about our own hearts. I pray, Lord, that we're not driven by the lust of envy and envy, but God, we're driven by the affection for the things above. Thank you for this opportunity. We had to worship you and your word tonight. We pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts and lead us and guide us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.